many of you like people who show off, who try to impress other people? Or how many of you like to show off and impress other people? Oh, I see a hand down there. I remember when I was 14 or 15, about the age of my own son, uh, I was playing tennis with a friend of mine, and we were interested in these, these two girls. So we invited them to play tennis with us. And I still remember after the game, and I, and I can't remember who actually won or if we even kept score, but I really wanted to make a good impression on the girl that I liked. And so as we were heading off the court and and walking towards the net in center court, I thought, wow, I could really make a good impression on her. I'm going to hop over that net. <laughs> Just like the pros do, right? Very cool and nonchalant. Of course, I want to make a good impression on her. So they always tell you when you're, you're catching a ball or you're jumping over something, you need to keep your eyes on the ball or on the thing you're jumping over. Well, my eyes were on the girl <laughs> and not on the net. And so as I tried to impress her and try to jump over the net, well, I didn't quite make it. Well, I did make it over the net, but I didn't land on two feet. I landed flat on my face. The racket went flying. My glasses went flying. My ego flew out the door. <laughs> so I made an impression on her, but it wasn't the impression I was trying to make on her. Well, this morning we're looking at a parable of Jesus. Jesus told these stories, and we all love to hear stories. And in this particular story, it talks about a man who tried to impress someone. Have you ever tried to impress someone, whether it's a girl or maybe it was a guy? Or how about God? How about God? What impresses God anyway? I want you to turn to your Bibles. And we're looking in the Gospel of Luke. This is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 18. And I hope that you bring your Bibles with you to church. It could be the actual Bible or it could be your phone or whatever other electronic device you have. But bring your Bibles to church. And so when you find Luke chapter 18, uh, if you find it, say amen. 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 All right. And we're looking at, and, and Luke is Luke is full of parables, full of stories. And whenever Jesus told a story, it was, it was an interesting story, but there was always a deeper meaning. And so we're going to drill down a little bit more. We always need to look at what is the point that Jesus is trying to make. So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, it's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to show a little video clip. And there's a little depiction of this, these few verses, verses 9 through 14. So just watch the big screen. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. And I am really glad that I am not like that tax collector over there. I go without eating for two days a week, 
and I give you one-tenth of all I earn. The tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think he was good enough even to look up towards heaven. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God, have pity on me. I am such a sinner. Then Jesus said, When the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing God. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honored. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So some of you may be asking, well, what is, what is this parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector? What does that have to do with, with me today? What does this mean? Well, if you look at that very first verse, verse number 9, Luke makes it very clear who Jesus told this parable to. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, that's who he was addressing. People who thought they were better than others. So you may be saying, okay, that's well and good, Major, but now if you want to know whether or not you are being addressed in this parable, let me ask you a few questions. Now you may get a little bit uncomfortable this is the word of God. Let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer it. Just think about it. Do you ever look at people who don't go to church and think you are better than they are because you do go to church? If so, Jesus is talking to you. Do you ever look at people in prison or who are homeless or who are a drug addict and think you are better than they are because you're not in prison and you're not homeless and you're not a drug addict? If so, Jesus is talking to you. Do you ever look at people who are, who are divorced or gay or illiterate or uneducated and think that you are better than they are because you're not divorced, or gay, or illiterate, or uneducated. If so, then Jesus is talking to you. Do you ever look down your nose at anyone for any reason and think you might be better than them? If so, Jesus is talking to you today. I promise you, Every one of you will find yourself somewhere in this story. Because at one time or another, all of us, all of us, myself included, all of us are guilty of trying to impress God with our own sense of self-righteousness. So what impresses God anyway? What moves his heart to declare us as his children? Well, here's the first point this morning, and you'll see it up on this screen. What impresses God is when you don't try to impress God. All right? What impresses God is when you don't try to impress God. You see, the, the Pharisee, this religious man, this outstanding citizen, this Pharisee tried as much as he could to impress God. He was standing in the center of the inner court, right in the heart of the temple. 
The reason he stood there was because it was there where he could be heard the clearest and be seen the best. He let everybody know just how wonderful he was and how very close to God he was. He declared in a loud voice, he said, I, Lord, I, I fast twice a week, even though he was only required to fast once a year. And he, he said, Lord, I, I tithe of everything that I own, even though the Old Testament only required that he tithe of his income. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting more than once a week, and there certainly is nothing wrong with giving more than a tithe. In fact, we all should do that, and more often. But the problem was that this man, that this man thought what many people think today. He thought that his good deeds, his own good works, his own goodness gained him points with God, gained him credits with God. And he thought that God accepts a person based on what they do and how much they do for him. You see, the more he did, the more points he would acquire. He was a good man. He was a very good man. And he was proud of it. But let me tell you, if you are trusting anything other than Jesus Christ to make you right with God, if you are trusting anything, whether it's membership in a church, or if you're trusting in just the fact that you attend church on a Sunday, or if you're trusting in the fact that you've been baptized, or if you're trusting in the fact that you're a good person, that you're a good parent, or a good child, or a good student, if you're trusting in the fact that you're... You, you're serving in the church as an, as an usher or a greeter, or you sing or you play on the worship team, if you're trusting in the fact that you're a Salvation Army officer or a minister, if you're trusting anything other than Jesus Christ, and all these things are good. I'm not saying they're not good. They're all good and wonderful. But if you're trusting anything other than Jesus Christ to make you right with God, and to have God accept you, then you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. You see, the Pharisee thought that God would be impressed with all that he was doing. But sadly, God wasn't impressed. What impresses God is when you don't try to impress God. You know, school just started for many of our children, for many of our keiki, and it reminds me of a story. It's a story about a little fifth grader who came home from school one day very excited because she had been voted the most prettiest girl in the class. And the next day, she was even more excited when she came home, for the class had voted her the most likely to succeed. And the next day, she came home and told her mom that she had won a third contest, that she was voted the most popular. But the next day she came home and she was pretty upset. And the mother said, what happened, dear? Did you lose this time? And the girl said, no. I won the vote again. And the mother said, well, what were you voted for this time? And she said, 
I was voted the most stuck up. (laughs) You see, the Pharisee in our story would have won that contest. He was pretty stuck up, stuck on himself. You know, he suffered from two problems, inflation and deflation. He had an inflated view of who he was, and he had a deflated view of who God was. You see, his pride, his pride in himself, his pride in his achievements was his downfall. His pride was his downfall. My wife here, my beautiful wife, I owe her an apology from last week when I threw that dodgeball at her. My wife is part Filipino. How many Filipinos do we have out there? Come on. There you go. Pinoy power. Filipinos. Filipinos are very proud of who they are, right? All of us are proud of what our heritage is. But Filipinos particularly are very proud. And they have a lot of pride, don't they? Pride chicken, pride rice, (laughs) pride lumpia. The list goes on, right? My wife is going to pride me when I get home. <laughs> From the prying pan into the prior. Pride. So I don't get back on track here. But we are guilty of spiritual pride. We are guilty of spiritual pride when we depend our own when we depend upon our own good works and not on God's grace. I really believe that pride is one of the biggest factors that keep people from giving their lives to God. It's pride that says, I don't need you, God. I can do it on my own. I'm sufficient. I'm adequate. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm good looking enough. I can do it on my own. I I don't need you, God. God will do anything to break the pride in us. Look at verse 14 up here. It says, God exalts the humble, but he brings low the proud. It's not that God wants to embarrass the prideful person. He just wants them to see how it's supposed to be. So so how do I recognize pride in me? We'll have a list here, and here, here's some indications or, or warning signs that pride is creeping up in your life. And I get this list from the, uh, from the Discipleship Journal, uh, published by the Navigators. And there's a list here. It's just a few things, but they're warning signs, perhaps, that pride is creeping up in your life. How about the first one, a sporadic prayer life? It could suggest that I'm not actively relying on God nor aware of my need for him. Again, thinking I can do it by myself. How about this one, anger? It can mean that I'm not trusting God's sovereign plan and timing and I'm trying to take control from him. How about this one, a critical spirit? Wow, that one's a tough one. The sorry act of bringing others down in order to lift up myself often points to an inflated sense of self. 
a defensive reaction to criticism, despondency after failure, and the inability to laugh at my mistakes all suggest that I am taking myself too seriously and thinking of myself too highly. Taking credit for success, accomplishment, or financial prosperity may mean I have lost sight of God's gracious and undeserved provision. And then the last one here, impatience. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure there's more on this list. But impatience. Impatience about having to listen. Impatience about having to wait. Impatience about having to serve. Impatience about having to be anonymous or to be led by someone else. All hint and an overdevelopment sense of importance. Pride. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, wrote this about pride. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. You see, God will do anything God will do anything to break the pride in us. Jesus said he exalts the humble, but he brings low the proud. You see, God is not impressed by our good deeds, but rather by our humility. By our humility. And that's the second point this morning. It's humility that impresses God. Humility impresses God. You see, back in Jesus' day, as he was telling this story, the tax collector, the tax collectors were, were the scum of the earth, the scum of the Jewish society. They charged outrageous rates. They skimmed extra money off the top. They would, they would even steal candy from a baby. They were considered traitors to the nation of Israel. They were the lowest of the low. And they were so despised they could not hold public office or even give testimony in a Jewish court because their word was considered worthless. The tax collector was to the Pharisee what an outlaw is to the sheriff, what a drug dealer is to an FBI agent, what a pimp is to the Pope. This man, this tax collector, no doubt was a liar, a cheat, a traitor, and a swindler. But now this story takes a strange twist and And Jesus, who is the master storyteller, drives home his point. The Pharisee tried to impress God with all of his goodness, but wasn't able to. The tax collector was not really trying to impress anyone. He was just being humble in heart. But that impressed God immensely. See what really impresses God? Humility, humbling yourself, impresses God. You see, this tax collector was as humble as the Pharisee was proud. You could see it in his body language. As you read that verse, verse 14, Jesus paints this picture of this man, and you can almost picture him just by looking at his body language. Look at his feet. Verse 13 tells us, but the tax collector stood at a distance. 
while the Pharisee went to the center of the court and stood in the sunshine where he would be noticed by all the people, the tax collector stood on the outer edges of the court of the Gentiles in the shadows, not caring to let people see him pray. He just wanted to have a private moment with the Lord. Look at the rest of his body. You could see the humility in his eyes. The verse says that he would not even look up to heaven. He kept his eyes down low. You see, the Pharisee was too proud to look up, and the tax collector was too ashamed to look up. You could see it in his hands. The verse says that he, he beat his breast. And in effect, he was saying, God, I know I have a filthy heart. I know that I am not worthy. And then you could hear the sincerity in his voice when he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A simple, yet a sincere prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus surprises his audience. And he says, God heard the prayer of this man. He says, I tell you this. I tell you that this man, not the other man, this man, the despised tax collector, and not the upstanding citizen, the Pharisee, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the highway to heaven is paved with humility. Now on the outside, you would have thought the Pharisee was much closer to God, but on the inside, it was really the tax collector who was close to God. A verse in Psalm, Psalm 34, 18, tells us why. It says, The Lord, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, a humble heart. And he saves those who have a contrite spirit. What impressed God so much was this man was simply willing to humble himself before God, to admit that he was a sinner and to ask for God's mercy. And you know, there's only one thing worse than being a sinner, and that is being so proud that you cannot admit that you're a sinner. But to admit that takes humility. It's humility that impresses God. I'm going to draw to a close this morning, and I'm going to ask the band to come forward, ask Gary to start playing. But I want us to look at that one last verse one more time. Listen to what Jesus said about this man who impressed God. He says, I tell you that this man, 
rather than the other, went home justified before God. What does that mean, justified? Justified means to be made right with God. When the tax collector came into the temple that day, he knew he was not right with God. He knew that there was much sin in his life. But when he went home, he was right with God. The Pharisee who came, who thought he was already right with God when he first came into the temple, did not go home justified. He did not go home right with God. And so my call to action to you today, you come to church not just to sing songs and worship and hear a sermon, but hopefully there's some action that takes place in your life, and that's your responsibility. God has already done the initiative. He's already taken the initiative. And now the call to action is for you to act, for you to respond to his word, to the moving of his spirit. And so my call to action to each of you today is that I want you to go home, but I want you to go home justified. I want to make sure when you leave these doors today that you are right with God. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. Only God knows and only you know. But you know if you're right with God Do you know if there's any sin in your life? Do you know if there's anything that's blocking your relationship with God right now? And it doesn't matter if you are not a Christian, if you're not a believer, or if you've been a Christian and a believer for many, many years. We still need to come to God in humility. God's grace is sufficient for us, and it's available for us each and every day. So as you leave this morning, my prayer is that you go home justified. And if you're not right with God this morning, make it right before you leave. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And as you hear the music playing, I want to give you that opportunity. We have a place of prayer here, the altars. If you'd like to come and pray and kneel at the altar... I invite you to do that. You don't need to, but if you'd like to, don't worry about what other people will say, what other people will think. It's just between you and God and no one else. The bottom line is, make it right with God today. If you want to come and pray, I invite you to do that. If you want to come and you want someone to pray with you for whatever reasons you may have, We'll have people available on either side here. They'll be happy to pray with you. But just for these next few moments, you come. Humble yourselves before the Lord so that when you leave this place today, you would be made right with God.